Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. continuing a sermon series uh, through the beginning of the Bible. Uh, We're calling it The Origin Story as we're going through Genesis. Uh, And we're um, still on the very first page from our our pew Bible. So if you wanted to grab a Bible, feel free to go do so. Um, But one of the things we've been saying is that the beginning, the origin story, is not intended to answer all of our questions, right? It's not intended to answer the question of uh, where did the creation come from? Was there this sort of Big Bang event? It doesn't answer that type of question. Rather, it helps us to know our purpose in the world in relation to God, our creator, the author and creator of all things and ruler of all things, right? And so this week, we're coming to the end of that first week of creation. We're coming to day seven of creation. And so uh, technically, this part is in chapter two, um, but those who numerated uh, the Bible well after it was written kind of just made a mistake. It really should be chapter one, but we're beginning with chapter two, verses one through three, Uh, So if you would, turn with me to page one uh, in the Bibles, and we're going to read here. And I meant to say this um, when we first brought in the Pew Bibles, and that is, um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, this is something that we saw a few other churches do, and I thought it was a great idea. If you don't have a Bible, take this one home. This is our gift to you. Um, And uh, and so um, there's really no questions asked. That's part of what this is for as well. So... Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he, had, that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, that you give it to us, that you reveal uh, who we are, who you are, um, and how we are uh, supposed to live. And so I pray, Father, uh, that you would write it upon our hearts as we talk more about it uh, this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, If y'all are like me, when we read those particular verses, I would imagine that you have sort of a similar image to me. Um... And that is uh, that, that God is almost like the fairies in Sleeping Beauty in the creation event. Uh, if y'all remember, there's like the pink and the blue fairy, and they're trying to make something for Sleeping Beauty, and they just keep going back and forth like pink, blue, right? And they're just sort of zapping things, and they happen over and over and over again. And that's sort of the image that we have of our God, the creator. And he's like, you know, um, light boom, and there's light, or something along those lines. And then kind of at the end of it, he's just tired from all of the zapping, and he wants to take a nap, right? That's sort of how we read the end of, uh, of the seventh day here. Um, but that is not at all what we should be imagining. I, instead, I kind of want uh, to, to paint a picture, um, maybe imagine 
one of your favorite shows on HGTV, right? Um, home gardening television, right? Maybe Chip and Joanna Gaines or, or whoever your favorite one was, right? Where they've been uh, kind of sculpting and working and creating and beautifying. And so the house goes from the studs to shiplap, right? It always has shiplap. Right, uh, to French doors. Again, there's always French doors. Um, and then all of a sudden you get new furniture put in and you get artwork placed upon the walls and fake fruit on the counter. Right? Then comes the big reveal. They bring the homeowner in blindfolded and they reveal it to them and there's excitement and joy. Um, but the part of the show that I really wish that they would actually put in there um, is the people living in the home. It is built for a purpose. I wish we got to see that purpose lived out. And, you know, every now and then we get like 60 seconds of them throwing a party that is prettier than, than any of us could actually ever throw. Right? It's not real life. But I want to see after all the construction, the work, the creating, the big reveal, I want to see them doing and living in the house it was supposed to be lived for. Right? I want to see them take up residence in their home. And so imagine that HGTV show with my addition. Right? That is what is going on here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That should be our image for what is the purpose right, of the seventh day of creation. Right? With the power of just speaking, God has created and ordered and organized the world. He's created the heavens, right? the water, the land. He's filled those spaces. Right? He's made us his image bearers, and he's given us the ability uh, and, and the task to subdue and have dominion over it. And he is now on the seventh day ceasing from that rest, or ceasing from that work. Right? It's not about him taking a nap, right? it is rather about him entering into his creation living into it, right? He didn't create the clock, kind of wind it all up and let it go as, as sort of deists have famously articulated about the creator God. No, we see that on the seventh day, God takes up the throne. He ceases from the work of, of creating and he takes up the work of ruling, right? He takes up the throne. We'll see that on the seventh day, this tells us a few things about God, ourselves, and redemption. Right, the seventh day tells us that everything that is created is God's temple right, or dwelling place. The seventh day gives us a model for how to pattern our lives after God, right, finding a regular rhythm of rest. And then third, it serves as a reminder of what was and what will be. Um, and I kind of recognize... This is like three sermons, um, and so we're kind of skimming the surface, and it will feel like we're going fast. I kind of didn't know how to do this otherwise, so I recognize the, that this will feel a little bit different, but I wanted to hit all these three points because they're, they're massively important theological points as we think about how to live out our life. So the first is the seventh day tells us that all of creation is God's temple, God created all things. He created the spaces and he filled those spaces. And verse 1 here of chapter 2 tells us the fact that the heavens and earth are finished and all the host of them. 
right? Again, saying he made the spaces and he installed the vice regents, the governors of those particular places. Everything is created and it has a function and it's going the way that it is supposed to be. Everything's in the right place. And the passage tells us that God has finished his work. Right? That doesn't mean that he, he walks away. That doesn't mean that everything now ceases to stop and that we all are supposed to take a nap. Right? That doesn't mean uh, anything apart from that. It says this. It says he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. The word that is used for the translation here, rested, has the same root for the word that we get the word Sabbath from. It's the word Shabbat. Right? And while Shabbat is translated here as resting, it is more accurately translated as ceasing. Right? Ceasing from the activity of work that you were previously doing. Right? And in this case, it is God ceasing from the work of creation. Or the work of creating. Because it is done. It is perfect. It is good. The point is that he isn't Sabbathing by resting in a way that we typically imagine. Right? He has created, and what he has created is majestic, and it is wonderful. Right? This is my Father's world, and it sings beauty and hallelujahs to the Creator. It's finished. So why should he do any more creating? Right? Because it is perfect, it no longer needs any more work of creating. God now ceases from that work, and rather than taking a nap, he takes his place upon the throne. The temple, which becomes an important place and symbol throughout the rest of the scriptures, right, is where the throne of God, um, indeed God's very presence, was located and where it was represented upon earth. Right? And the picture that we get of God here on the seventh day of creation is exactly in the same vein, right? God is now on the throne, directly involved with ruling over his creation. He isn't an absent creator. Right? Um, you know, he isn't on, on the toilet as Elijah kind of uh, you know, blasted the gods of Baal. Right? Like, where is your God? Is he in the bathroom? No, he's not that either. He is the creator of all things and he is the ruler of all things. A part of the point here is that God's presence and rule isn't contained to a single city where a temple would be located. It isn't contained to a single nation that has a particular temple. No. Though he has revealed himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and though he has said, I am the God of Israel, he is saying here, I am the creator and God of all. Right? The entire cosmos is my temple, is my dwelling place. He is involved in all. And all things in this world are intended to bring him praise and glory. As we talked about earlier, um, essentially we're saying that there is no sacred and secular dichotomy. Right? There's no sacred space in this world and secular space. Right? There's sacred space meaning where God is present and secular space meaning where he is completely apart from it. Right? We shouldn't feel and think that like church is sacred space, but you know, a cow pasture is secular space. 
right? Or an office building is secular space, right? And kind of here to help you overcome that particular thing, we are a church worshiping in the YMCA. Uh, for some of you all worshiping in the exact same room where you get your pump on, right? Um, right? We shouldn't see our bedroom as secular apart from God's space or our desk or the library, right? It is all sacred space. The Lord is ruler over all of that. It's all, every cubic inch and everything in this world is intended to be used for his glory. But because we live on this side of the fall, right, where we have misused his, uh, his good things and his good uh, space and sacred space, it, it, it becomes a challenge for us becomes easy for us to look at particular areas and be like, I don't think God is in there, right? We, you know, for example, you know, certain bars maybe, or uh, most of anything that's on Westheimer, it feels like, right? Um, or even scenes following a natural disaster, like the one in Morocco yesterday, right? But this passage makes it clear that all of creation is God's temple, All of it is his dwelling place, even the spaces where we have desecrated it, where we have used it to our own purposes and not to the purposes of God. It is not that he is not in it. It's that we have used it for its wrong purposes, right? Because God is in, is over all and he is ruling over all. So we can pattern our lives after God by recognizing that everywhere, even in the places that seem to be abandoned by him, that even in those places, there is at least a glimmer of his rule. He is still in control, even if those spaces uh, seem to say otherwise. So the second point, um, the seventh day is for us so that we will pattern our lives um, after God and after his rest. What do you pattern your life after? Is there some sort of view of your life, of the good life, that has dictated what your weekly schedule is supposed to look like? Is it dictated by your work? And if so, how much of it is because you're getting kind of validation or identity or status from your work, right? Or maybe if it isn't your work, it's some other aspect of your life that you've um, related to in order to give you joy, Maybe it's your appearance that has sort of begun to dictate the order and rhythm of your life. Or um, maybe it's your children and their achievements and success. Or maybe it's your leisure, right? We can easily let our hobbies and our leisure take over and establish a pattern and a rhythm in our life, right? Just sort of surviving the work week to get to the work to the weekend, um, But no matter what, our lives all have a pattern. They all have a rhythm. And that pattern actually begins to form us. It begins to form our very beliefs. It tells us us the things that seem to matter most to us because those are the things we spend the most amount of time on. But God has designed us to be intentional about our lives, our rhythms, and our patterns. Right? If everything has been created for sacred purpose, then even how we spend our time, right, in light of the fact that all of it is his, right, we should pattern our lives after him. Though the command isn't referenced here, right, the fourth commandment, uh, to, uh, to rest as he is resting, 
Um, the Bible does later give us that command to cease on the seventh day as well, to rest. But the seventh day here tells us that we are specifically to pattern our lives after God. It tells us that creation itself is actually intended to follow this pattern. Um, that it's intended for our own growth, uh, for our own benefit, and for God's glory. And there are a few things that I want to focus on uh, that the, the seventh day helps us with. First, it reminds us that God keeps his promises. Um, as theologian Bruce Walkey uh, says, that it reminds us that he completes his work. Second, it helps us to practice our trust and belief that God is Lord and not ourselves. And third, it's good for our rest and growth. Now, I'm going to focus a little bit more on each of these. So how does it remind us of God's finish, that God finishes his work? Um, as we take up the rhythm of God, we are supposed to pay attention to the reason that we do so. Right? The reason that God ceased on the seventh day was because all was finished. Right? It was perfect. It was good. And in a post-fallen world where the world is messed up, where people are sinful, where you still struggle with the exact same thing that you did a week ago, a month ago, years ago, and you just are so sick and tired of it, we remind ourselves and each other that God has finished his work, that he's done so in the past, and he will finish his work in the future. He will complete his redemption of everything. He will do all that he says he's going to do. That means that no matter what you are struggling with, that a day will come when he will complete his work within you, making you more and more like Christ, relieving you of that sin and of that burden. He will do all that he says he's going to do and bringing a peace and an utter goodness back to the world and making desecrated places sacred again, right? Second, it helps us to practice our trust and belief that God is Lord and not us. And this is a, a little bit of a longer one because we all want to live as if we are the ones in control. Um, are we the ones in control? Are we the masters of our own fate and our own destiny? I submit that the more we live that way, which is the exact way that most Americans live, the more anxious and depressed that we are going to become. Why? Because no matter how well we have built our lives, we cannot control the shifting sand underneath it. Right? Even when you plan your whole work week out well, you cannot plan for the eventual tire uh, nail that will come in your tire that, that spoils all things. Right? Or maybe you were supposed to host a church event at your house immediately following and your wife gets COVID this week. Right? You can't control that sort of thing. And so now we have to pivot and go to something else. Right? No matter what we do, no matter what we plan and prepare for, we cannot keep it all together. Right? This fallen world frequently disintegrates around us and we struggle against it, fighting to control it, fighting to maintain it, fighting to keep everything intact. And y'all, we were not created to be the ones in control. God didn't create us to give us supreme control over anything. He made us vice regents, subordinate kings, stewards who answer to him. And when we cease from our labors, right, when we sign out from our email, when we put our phones away, 
when we punch out the clock, we cease from the normal and good work that God has for us, we remember that we're not the ones in control. Right? Our physical actions actually begin to form our hearts. Because we're saying all things are his. All things answer actually to him. They don't answer to me. Think about those moments where you've actually managed to cease from a day or, or cease from a little bit of work. It's kind of annoying that the world kept spinning, right? Um, it, kept, it was all fine. It all worked out. Now, some of us are in a work that doesn't allow for us to step away. Right? If your primary work is taking care of kids, it's not like you can just be like, peace out, kids. See you later. Make your own lunch. Put yourself to bed. Um, change your own diaper. That would be fantastic, right? Um, or if you're in healthcare, it's not as if you can be like, no, there's no sick people anymore. We're all taking the day off. Chick-fil-A style hospital. We're closed on Sunday. Um, no, we don't cease to do the work that the church has called us to do, these are what we have said throughout the centuries are called works of necessity and mercy. There's specific needs that the people in our spheres have that we should help to meet, right? These are the acts of mercy that are always good to do. The reason is that as we do them, we're actually still patterning our life after God, but we still have to remember that we're not him. So no matter what our form of work is, whether you are a pastor, whether you are in healthcare, whether you have needy ones all around you all the time, figure out a creative way to cease, even if it can't be at the exact same day of the week or at the exact same hour of the day. We are meant to pattern our lives after God to remind ourselves that we are not him and that he is better, bigger, and gooder than we are, right? There's a quote. Um, uh, this is a little bit of a plug for our book table if y'all haven't seen it. There's a lot of different books that we have. Uh, that don't, they don't give us any money. They're, uh, we just are paying. It's all from Amazon anyway. Um, the, the same price. But this is a book on our book table called Liturgy of the Ordinary. It's by uh, a, a priest named Tish Harrison Warren. Um, she was a, uh, involved in intervarsity for a long time at Vanderbilt and, uh, and at, at the University of Texas. And now, um, I believe she and her husband are on the East Coast somewhere. And this is a book all about how there is a order and a pattern of our life. And it can either tell us that we are the ones in control of all things, or that liturgy and that pattern can be patterned after the Lord. And one chapter She's talking about how it is actually a grace from God that she forgets her keys. It's a grace from God because it is a reminder that she is not the one in control. And from that chapter, this is what she has to say. She said, these moments, moments like forgetting our keys, are an opportunity for formation, for sanctification. Because underneath these overreactions and aggravations lie true fears. My lost keys reveal my anxiety that I won't be able to do what I need to do to take care of myself and those around me. They hit on my fear of failure and incompetency. My broken dishwasher uncovers my worries about money. Will we have enough to fix it? And it exposes my idolatry of ease, my false hope and comfort and convenience. I just want things to run smoothly. 
Right? All of these things are an opportunity to form our heart. Do we want everything to go according to our own plans, or do we allow for them to force us to trust in the God who has made it all, who rules over all, and it is good? Right? That is her point. Because when we lay down our normal work, when we seek to let it lie or rest, we are practicing turning from ourselves and turning toward God, that he's in control. And that while we have ceased, he is the one holding it all together still, right? And so the third thing that we want to talk about is that it is good. It's, it is good for our rest and good for our sanctification, for our growth in grace. We're not made to put the pedal to the metal of the floor of our car and work 24-7. Right? Though our, our culture seems to honor that way of life, um, that's not the way we were designed. I know if, if college is still like anything when I was in college, or uh, you know, it is a badge of honor when somebody asks, how you doing? To be like, I don't know, man, I'm tired. Right? Just over and over and over again, I'm busy. Um, we want to be able to say we're busy. We want to be able to say that we're tired, and it never goes away post-college as well. That is the way American life works. And it's counterintuitive, but to cease from our labor actually allows for us to be more productive, right? It's built into the way that we were made. We've established before that none of us are really farmers in here. Maybe we have a couple of gardeners, right? But we know that even the ground is not meant to produce over and over and over again. That if you rest the ground and do not plant for a season, it will produce better the next time. We and all of creation are intended, right, to rest. It helps us physically. It helps us to grow spiritually. Because when we cease from our labor... We don't just take a nap, right? We cease from our labor because it ultimately allows us spiritual rest as well to bless God who has blessed us. We cease from our labor to honor him, to worship him, and to remind ourselves weekly that he is our God and we are not. We cease from our labor because even though work can be a form of worship, it is so easy for us to turn our work into the very thing that we worship. So we stop from it so that we can worship our God who has given us that work. We cease from our work in order to draw our attention back to God and to worship him in a right and new way. So how do we do this? What does Sabbath rest or ceasing look like? And I hesitate to give you a strict rule because when we make a strict rule of Sabbath keeping, we're often kind of violating the very purpose behind the rule itself, where somehow we begin to try and cease from our labors so that we can force God's good graces upon us rather than responding to his goodness. We keep Sabbath. We gather in worship weekly. We do all of these in response to his grace, not as a means by which to earn it. So with a broad brush rather than a strict rule, I will say that one of the ways that you are to keep Sabbath is to cease from your normal work and life rhythm. Tell the coach that your kid isn't going to play in the game on Sunday. Um, Put your phone down as long as you're not on call with the hospital, (laughs) right? Or, or, Or on call with the church. 
and allow your mind to be elsewhere, to be with the Lord. And as you cease, fill the day with things that fill you with worship. Go to corporate worship with other Christians, like we're doing here. Eat a meal with a loved one or a neighbor. Spend time doing something that makes you feel God's presence and pleasure, as we talked about with Eric Little. Make a day of rest and gladness. And I can't remember who the theologian was, but it's just good wisdom as well. Depending upon what your work is, do something that is a form of the opposite. My point is, if your work is entirely intellectual, do something physical. If your work is entirely physical, do something more physically restful and do something a little bit intellectual and allow for that to fill you with God's pleasure. Right? Let's get to our third point. The seventh day serves as a reminder of what was and what will be. As we said, God created and he declared that all was good. And not only that, but it's clear, right, in the first two chapters of Genesis that God's dwelling place was with all of creation. All right, our passage today shows us that everything is working together in perfect harmony. All of creation is at peace. Right? Um, the Hebrew word for that idea is the word shalom. Right? Um, it's the idea not just of peace the way that we talk about it, like ceasing from war, but it's, it's perfect harmony. Right? That's what the seventh day here is teaching, that God is in perfect relationship with, with mankind Man is in perfect relationship with creation. Um, and man is even in perfect relationship with himself, as we talked about how challenging that can be last week. But in the fall and in our sin, we have undone that peace. We've undone that shalom. That does not mean that our Lord is asleep, taking a nap or in the bathroom, right? Um, for he is on the throne. He always has been. And he's bringing peace back to where the brokenness in sin have been. The seventh day is a reminder of what will be. As even Jackie himself prayed in our prayer earlier, it is a reminder that Jesus is coming again and our dwelling place is with him. For God will be with us in his fullness as heaven and earth are combined in the new creations. That is the full, what we have to look forward to, and that is what the seventh day here testifies to, the rest that we are entering into because of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing. And so that should give us hope that no matter what is going on in our lives and no matter how exhausted we might feel, it will not always be like this. Right? We have a certain future because Jesus is the one who's on the throne, and he is making it all right and all good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for what you are doing. We thank you for what you have done. And Father, we pray that we would trust in uh, the fact that you are upon your throne, that we would lean into it, and that we would learn to rest, um, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.